Grace and peace to you all. So good to be together. Hopefully you're well. And the sun is coming out, which is great. So that was just, that was us right there saying the sun isn't here. Now it's coming out. It's great. Good to see you. Hey, just want to say just before we jump in, um, on Friday night I had the opportunity uh, again to be at Power to Change with some of our uh, college students, university students, and it was uh, just a great time. And just want to say to you guys that are all involved how proud of, uh, just proud of such an amazing student-led opportunity and ministry on campus. And it's really cool what you guys are doing. So just well done, all you guys that have been involved the last uh, several years, few years, and really great just to see that like student-led stuff, like people, you guys investing your lives in that is really awesome. So it was great to be there. I had to run a little early. I hope that was okay, but um, great to just be there and teach and uh, amongst the crew there. It's pretty cool. Um, when stuff is out of like our hearts and out of our own initiative, you know, and I, I just think there's something deep and beautiful about that. So well done. Um, how are we? Are we okay? You're all right? Okay. So uh, if you want to open in your Bibles with me, we're going to be in Genesis chapter three a little bit. And you're like, Genesis again. Yeah, baby. First three chapters of Genesis, we kind of go towards a lot. Last week, we began a teaching series on the theo- a theology of the body and looking at how we view our bodies as Jesus followers and how integral and important our bodies are. We have laid the foundation for us, people, that you do not have a body, you are a body. And the tension is, and we unpacked this, and uh, we had a little video teaching from a guy named Dave Lomas, who I think did a really good job. And this really syncs up with a lot of the work that I've done the last little while in just pushing against this idea that somehow we think we're like discombobulated and all over the place. And that's for some reason, especially when we talk about the age to come, most Christians kind of, their view at times is this disembodiment, this floating of spirits forever. And yet Jesus has right now a body And you and I will have a body for eternity. We'll get there in a few minutes. So it's really important to gather our minds and our hearts around just like Christian theology and Orthodox theology that pushes against this kind of escapism type of kind of world we've entered into, especially the last couple hundred years in the North American context. Um, This disembodied kind of flying away moment is actually not story of the scriptures. There's something beautiful about the body that we have and live into. Um, well, got saucy early. I don't know how I feel. I'm like, now I'm sweating under my arms because I'm not, normally not like that. But what we want to do today is let's circle back to Genesis 3 and let's read this together. Verse 16, so the world is created in fusion and in rhythm and um, as you know, that last two chapters God is in relationship with humans in the earth. God has given humans a job description to take the creation project forward. There's beauty, there's rhythm, there's one command for humans not to do and enter into. And the propensity for us in our waywardness is to go against that. And it's more than just biting into an apple or a piece of fruit. There's, the word apple isn't even there, right? It's The bigger picture is... The, the propensity for humans to kind of go their own direction, to go their own way, to be their own God. And so there's consequences in the fall. You know, God wanted to see the creation project go forward in beauty and rhythm. And out of this disobedience, 
humanity, proto-human, is banished from the garden, and there's actually some curses. And you're like, we're going to start with this today? Well, we are, because one of the things we want to kind of gather our hearts and minds around is the fact that we live in a broken world. And I know, listen, in the progressive kind of secular moment we're in, people will push against this, right? That's for, you know, there's kind of this vision before us that we're moving to some sort of utopia. We're trying at least in our moment to live into utopia. But we have to grapple with brokenness. Like, just look around. How are things going for us? How are things going for us? Just ask that, I've just been asking that question over and over in the injustice and the things we see in our world. And so God with the serpent, the woman, and, the, the, and Adam, with even Adam, give these curses. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe and painful labor. You will give birth to children. So I've been there four times. I can attest to this. <laughs> cool. yeah. I was there. Baseball, I remember Ava. Baseball was on, epidural. It was amazing. It was really good. But anyways. <laughs> Um, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will pr uh, produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and here's the big picture, to dust you will return. I mean, this is where we get Lent. This is the idea of Lent, that we are mere mortal and Ash Wednesday. There now is death on the horizon in our bodies. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And then, God, interesting, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. So the point, the point in all of this, it starts really good. This is not good. The garden is ideal, by the way, for actually even how I, at least I, we do as a community theology. So when we talk about ideals, it's the garden. And there's a lot of things that aren't ideal in our world right now and brokenness all over. You've heard me say for years that rebellion in the garden leads to pain in our relationships, to broken and abused sexuality, right? We'll get to this a little bit next week. To frustrated, unsatisfied work. So humans were supposed to flourish with their work in taking the creation project forward. And now, as we've looked, there's all sorts of just not great things in our jobs. And ultimately, what we see here, too, is death. The breakdown, actually, of our bodies is part of the curse and part of what it means to actually live in a broken world. So we have this before us. There's a framework for why, you know, for some of us, as we turn towards 40, our bodies maybe don't work the way they used to, right? And there's pain, and there's back pain in Advil, and there's this, I don't know about you, but just this wrestling as we age as well with our bodies and what they mean. And so again, we've taken time to look at how we view our bodies. 
And we just want to keep before us the, the upheaval of the fall, it affects our bodies. It does. It affects the trajectory of where we will go. Nobody has beaten it. One out of one, 10 out of 10 people go into the grave. Just to let you know, you're like, wow, this is amazing. This, is, this guy's really smart, but it's just true. Our bodies break down, and no matter, and it's, it was interesting learning this week about some anti-aging programs, even in London, and the desire, and like, there's people that now enter into the rebellion against aging. But even then, it may work for a little bit, just to pump you up this morning, we are all moving towards our bodies decaying, and we have to wrestle with this. Now, with this, where we want to focus this morning is on trauma, on trauma, and what trauma actually does to our bodies. Now, some of you are thinking, what does trauma have to do with our bodies, right? Because maybe you're thinking, as we come around this, isn't this more about like mental health and our minds? And I just want to put, obviously, a warning out. We're going to talk about trauma, and this, I don't think going to be too many things triggering along the way, but the concept itself, for most of us, we kind of think in our minds that this is mental health stuff. What does trauma have to do with our bodies? The answer is everything, is everything. Trauma has everything to do with our bodies. And it's important because we are people that pick up from Genesis 3 that we are in a fallen, broken world, that trauma is all around us. Trauma just simply means wound. It's from the Greek word that just means wound in our English language. And all of us in this room carry some form or sense of wounding. And in reality, many of us in this room walk with very deep traumatic wounds, trauma. Now, here's, I need to take a side note. I've already been saucy this morning. I already feel guilt for that coming out of my mouth, so I do want to apologize because I'm just reactive towards my childhood sometimes. So, sorry, mom and dad and all that. It's good. Um, I do, I will go to the grave that we're, we're not going to be floating around in foreverness, forever in, in like disembodiedness. But, you know, a, another side note, and I don't want to be saucy with this one, but here's what will come up a little bit when we talk about these things. And I don't think it's as much in our community. Honestly, I think we think through these things pretty healthily, if that's a word. But people will say, is this biblical? Oh, yeah, the good old Bible question. Come on, we're going to talk about trauma this morning. And oh no, our pastor's gone woke because he's now kind of like a therapist on the side. And here we go, right? Is this really biblical? What are we doing here? And I just want to, I want to talk about this for like two or three minutes just to help us because what people often mean is, does the Bible inform what we're going to talk about? And the thing that will make us uneasy, maybe, is the fact, I want to be careful here, because you know I have a very high view of the Bible, but this make you feel, may make you feel uneasy a bit, to know that the Bible does not inform everything. Okay? So don't throw stones. I'm not a heretic. I love the scriptures. But, you know, there are things that are biblical, like polygamy is biblical, and stoning people in public space for certain behaviors, that is biblical. It's in there, right? Um, those things are biblical. And I know you're going to say here, well, listen, Jesus fulfills that, and obviously we don't stone people in pu public, and 
we have a uh, Jesus-centered view of relationships, but those things are in the Bible. Those things are biblical. But some of you are probably thinking, well, that's like kind of old covenant stuff. We've moved on from that, right? Well, what about things in the New Testament, right? So like post-Jesus, post-death, burial, resurrection, like head coverings in the church for women. That's biblical. Where are the head coverings, ladies, this morning? Come on. You forget in the clothes swap? Do we have, so we have some head coverings in the clothes swap, so you can get, get one after, right? So this is not to create a low, you're gonna, if you track with me, this is not to create a low view of the Bible by any means, but even the question of what, are, what about what we're doing right now? Is it biblical? Well, certainly there are instructions for what the church does when it gathers around the public reading of scripture and teaching, uh, the singing, uh, coming together, corporate singing is all in there, but I mean, if we were really biblical, we would be in a home right now because Paul was dealing with a triclinium and an atrium and all sorts of conflict with that. That was, if, if, if we go by biblical, there was no glass walls and an open, bright space and public space for that matter. Um, Paul was dealing with people in homes. So you, you picking up what I'm putting down? The Bible doesn't necessarily inform every single thing. I have a huge view of the Bible. We have a huge view of the Bible so much that, we, one, we want to read it in context. And we also want to consider, and this may be hard for some of us, that there are things that the Bible doesn't necessarily inform that are still good for us. You out there? So there are things in, in, in our world that we live that can inform us that the Bible doesn't necessarily point to that actually are good for us. And it doesn't have to lower our view of the Bible. Theology and interpretation are, are, are super important. But the Bible doesn't speak directly to what toothpaste I should use, right? Or what I do with my iPhone. Just to let you know, there was no context for that in the ancient world of the first century. Even things like dating, right? You know, we kind of have like this pop moment in evangelicalism that talks about dating, but there, and certainly there's general wisdom around dating in the scriptures, but there was no context of a dating world anywhere near the Bible, and the list goes on and on. And there is a danger with things around science to say that the Bible informs certain things because we have many things that we know now um, that were unknown during the times of the Bible. So, like, it's, it's easy to kind of pit, and I was talking to the guys about this on Friday night, it's easy to pit science against faith, but our Bibles are not a science textbook. They're not. You know, the classic with this is the writer of Genesis actually thought there, there was a firmament. Like, if you read it, the writer of Genesis, whoever that was, Moses, whoever, thought there was a firmament that held the waters above the land. And the legend was, is when it rained, the firmament would kind of open up and the water would come through. Now, do you believe that? Like, we've sent a man to the moon, right? They, it's not that they were wrong, just in that worldview and in that time and place and space, the Bible is not addressing modern science. And so we know now um, how precipitation works, right, through science and different things. The point I'm trying to make is, is that what we're going to talk about today, I don't have scripture and verse for you, but I believe it can be good for us, right? And it's important just to kind of shape our minds. That's actually kind of creating, I think, a higher view of the scriptures. And listen, there are certain ways now in our world that we know how to fix a broken arm that's not in the Bible, 
right? But do we use these things to help us heal? You break your arm, you go and help, hopefully you've got to go to a hospital and help get it fixed. That's not in the Bible, but that's helpful for us. And I think the same thing can be applied to the idea of trauma. The world in which we live has been turned upside, this is the theological point, has been turned upside down by sin and death. And with that comes all sorts of horrific experiences through the way that we treat each other as humans. There's also a lot of trauma that actually comes from natural occurrence, right? Or things that are out of our control, things that happen to us in our lives that are out of our control. So is the idea of trauma biblical? Well, I can't get you to turn again to Scripture and verse, but we can understand how trauma affects our bodies by the God-given advances we have seen in things like neuroscience. I really believe this. I'm not a heretic. I love the Scriptures. But there has been advances, and some of you know this, that are in nursing and medical school. Like, there are th- huge advances over the last several years, last couple of de- decades, that can help us understand how our bodies work and how trauma affects us. Make sense? That's my little rant on the side. Can you nod your head? Are you with me? Are you all right? Okay. I love the Bible. I love the scriptures. You know, there's a couple helpful resources. One is a a widely popular book called The Body Keeps the Score. Many of you have probably engaged this. Very important work. Another one is by Hilary McBride. I have not read this in totality, so sometimes I'm a little weary, but the vibe I get from her work, The Wisdom of Your Body, is a great other kind of resource that kind of helps how we see our bodies and how trauma works. Okay? So there's a few types of trauma. There's more than a few, but there's a few types of trauma that are prevalent. One is acute trauma, and this just means trauma resulting from a single incident in our lives. Chronic trauma is repeated and prolonged, things like maybe domestic violence or abuse. And complex trauma is is basically the exposure to varied and multiple traumatic events, often of uh, an invasive or impersonal nature. Now, what I want to take, uh, take on for the next couple minutes and kind of get us to see how we can work with this is actually how trauma works in our bodies and our brain. You're so glad you came, aren't you? You're all right? Hanging in there? This will help us. And listen, I, this is going to be pretty simplistic. For some of you, you're actually in this world. You could probably describe it better than I could, and that is absolutely wonderful. But it is amazing the research that has shown how trauma actually gets caught. We have traumatic experiences, whether it's acute, whether it's chronic over time or complex over time, that trauma actually gets caught in our bodies. It's our bodies are actually uh, react. So you ready for a little brain science? You okay? Okay. The front part of our brain, if you can imagine it, is the executive center of our brain. Some of you know it as maybe the prefrontal cortex. And this is where logical reason and decision-making is made. And it's also where the visual memory is in taking snapshots in consecutive order. But if you just think of it like this, the prefrontal cortex is a part of the brain that's like the reasoning, logical part. You with me? Okay. There's also a part in our middle brain called the amygdala. It's like an almond shape. And the amygdala is the part of our brain in the middle part that actually remembers every single feeling and emotion that you have ever had. Even in utero, the science around this, is that even in utero, 
The amygdala remembers every emotion and feeling. And what we underestimate is that trauma actually stays in our cells. So our, our central nervous system is the first thing to, thing to actually grow in utero, and traumatic events that we experience can stay in our cells and can actually be transferred in, in utero. Now, you know, this is why sometimes people always ask, well, what about the nature-nurture thing? You know, the nature-nurture debate, like, is this like a nature thing? Is, are some of, like, even my habits, practices, things in my life passed on kind of through nature, or is it more of like a nurture thing, environment? And my answer to that is... Yes, right? Stuff would show us over time that, that na the nature-nurture debate, the answer to that is yes. And so trauma stays in our cells. So when we are triggered by trauma, our brains are, and this can maybe be helpful for some of you, our brains are actually protective. Our brains protect us. Our bodies remember everything, every emotion, everything that's happened. Make sense? So what happens is this amygdala, the middle part of the brain, sends a message to the front part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, the reasoning part, and it is messaging us sometimes when we've had traumatic experiences that trauma is happening. The amygdala is sending like signals and it sends a message that believes, though we've had maybe past trauma and experiences, past wounds, sends messages that make us believe trauma is happening in the moment and that we are reliving the trauma. And so a picture for us that trauma actually gets stuck in the body. It, it gets stuck in the place and time, sometimes the age in which the wound has happened. And so one of the things why we're talking about this is because the reality is, is if we can understand or heed actually what our bodies are trying to tell us, it can help us work with past traumas. Our bodies are the things that relive the trauma. And what happens is when this happens, our prefrontal cortex, the reasoning part of our brain, it actually closes off to protect us, and what happens is we go into survival mode with the middle brain sending these messages, the, the front part of our brain, the reasoning closes off, and we go into either fight mode, come on somebody, which is filled with anger response, and we push people away. Sometimes it's flight mode, which for many of us, sometimes in that response, the signal is being sent, and that means kind of anxiety and withdrawing. And for some of us, at times in this response, is the freeze mode, right? So the key in all, all you know, there's so much here, hour, hundreds of hours, I'm working on trauma certificates right now, hours and hours and hours of energy and time into this. The key in all of this is this, is that we should listen to our bodies, and this is something that I find a lot of Jesus followers actually disconnect because we're flying away to glory. We're trying to fly away to somewhere else. But part of it is actually understanding what happens in our bodies and going towards our emotions. So that's why if somebody has heavy traumatic experiences or trauma in their life, one of the things that a lot of therapists won't do is they won't use cognitive therapy because the reasoning part of our brain is kind of closed off, right? So we have to look somatically at our bodies and what we notice in our bodies. So for me, um, maybe a little part from trauma. For me, can I get a little vulnerable? Is this okay? Some of you are bored, I'm sorry. I don't mean to make this boring. Are you bored? Is this boring? Okay. Um, so for me, <laughs> Heather's here, this is great. Um, for me, in the course of my life, um, I have struggled with anger. 
Can, are you going to give an amen? The amen quarter, right? So, so people will pass on, like we'll be in a social setting, and I'm an introvert, and by nature in, in settings that are out, I'm a quite, quite a calm person, and I'm, you know, that's just kind of the way I roll. So people will sometimes say to me in front of Heather, man, Drew is like really calm. <laughs> And, you know, she's lived with me and knows that the patterns of anger in my own life, there has been some revelation along the way. Now, Jesus has lots to say about anger. Well, we're going to read it in a second. But for me, um, this has been really helpful because even in the emotion of anger, what happens is we get hot. We experience something. We have the emotion of anger. And what happens is the front part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, closes off. And if you've ever been angry, you know what happens. It just compounds and compounds and compounds because the reasoning part of us is closed off. So sometimes this happens. We have these moments where we're angry. The calm guy out of nowhere lets a bottle because he's a bit of a control freak and when he loses control, the emotion comes on. The brain's trying to protect me. Anger responses come out and then just 20 minutes later, you're sitting going, what the heck did I just do? Anybody, Anybody had that happen? It's because in the moment... Our brains are protecting us. When we calm ourselves, it opens up. I mean, I'll tell this story because it's long enough. When Heather and I got first, first got married, um, am I okay to share this? You don't even know what I'm going to share, but yeah. Um, we, first year, year one, it got hot one night. And I'm not talking about, you know, like the right kind of hot. I'm talking like it was, it got hot. And we were in an argument and, and the, the, Protective parts of the brain, it was, both of them were closed off, but probably me more than, more than anybody. And we were, and so I flailed myself, I sat down, flailed myself on the bed, and my phone dialed out to somebody who was interning with me. And for like 20 minutes, I mean, this was like, yeah, very unlogical dialogue. Are you with me? That's what I'll call it. And he sat and he listened. <laughs> the whole, he didn't hang up. And some of you, like, you know this, right? That's just like the worst thing ever. And it was okay. He was actually older than me and had a family. And I think he was like, dude, are you all right? Yes, I'm fine. It was the worst 20 minutes of my life up to this point. And here we are. But just shows us how the body and the brain work, right? One of the things we want to work towards at times with these types of responses is noticing what happens in our bodies to keep the reasoning part open. And so, again, this is not, you know, this, the Bible doesn't inform this stuff, but it's so helpful. Things like breathing, right? When we sing now, it's your breath in my lungs, and you just breathe, I'm like, yes. Because yes, it is King G, the Spirit's breath in our lungs. We believe that pneuma, right? The breath. But one of the things that research actually shows is that simply catching ourselves and bringing calm through things like deep breathing is one of the best ways we actually have. There's a lot of things we don't have control over physiologically when we're activated, right? But there are some things, and breathing is one of them, or muscle relaxation, Sometimes we'll teach a sensory scan as a way in the moment when it's getting hot, when we notice our anger or different type of heavy emotional responses to calm ourselves, listen to our body as a way to bring calm. And I would say, I I know I got like five people in here today. 
this is a journey for me. I'm getting better at this now. It's actually a way in which Jesus has lots to say about anger. So this is what Jesus says. He says, you heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to that judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable in court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, I'm not perfect at this, but one of the things that the calming practices have helped with is less moments for raka. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? Less moments for you fool. Even yesterday, I did so good. I had two kids. I was home with two kids. All of a sudden, I'm just working away, doing some stuff for work, and there's a full-out brawl on the couch, right? You know who you are, and you come to Jesus in a couple minutes. This is great. And, and they're trying to discern, like, who it was, because they're like, what part of the day was this? And my body, my body, listen, I'm, I'm kind of joking, but, like, my body responded, and I snapped in a certain way, but I was able in the moment to catch myself and to help bring calm to open up reasoning. And just with trauma, what happens is as the front part of our brain opens, what often happens is as we go to it, we actually remember, and here's the hope for today. We can heal. We can heal from this. We can heal from our wounds. Often we'll talk about the window of tolerance. When we're in our window of tolerance, we can feel like we can deal with what's happening, the stress, anxiety, pressure in our life when we're in it. But when we've experience trauma, what happens is that window of tolerance becomes smaller and we become more activated either like hot type of emotions like I'm talking about with anger um, or things like disengagement and disengaging, right? And so I know science stuff, but like this has given me huge empathy over the last several years just around where we're all at in our journey. And I was even thinking last night, like I, you know, it's, it, it's hurtful sometimes to be part of a church community, people coming and going, and there's all sorts, you know, anything, any, any type of community. Heather and I were talking yesterday. It's not just the church. It's minor hockey. And any type of community, there's going to be pain with people. But this has really given me empathy that when we have trauma in our past, um, you know, we act sometimes and we, we live into sometimes the wounds that we have and we need to have empathy for each other but also understand how we can move towards healing. And so, does it make sense? This is God-given stuff, honestly. This has led me to worship. To think that I live in a world where if I break my arm, I can go and, hopefully this isn't self-fulfilled prophecy here like this week, but um, I can go and I can... F- help get my arm fixed. And I also think when we have deep wounds, there's ways, even though it may seem hopeless, and even though that middle part of the brain is sending signals to the reasoning part of our brain, and it can make us feel like the event is happening over and over, there are ways in which we can heal from this stuff. It's, my, my, honestly, my week has been, God, thank you for this. Like, I know there's no scripture and verse, but Thank you for the ability and what we've advanced to in our world to say we can heal. So a few, few things, just in how we think about this. What can be helpful, you know, in working with what's happening with trauma is retelling the traumatic event in calm 
empathetic, compassionate, and non-judgmental spaces because this helps us increase the ability to kind of work with our intense emotions. And obviously what we want to do is we want to find safe space and hopefully there are people and brothers and sisters around you that can be that safe space for us to find safety, right? So like, again, our brains are trying to protect us. We are creatures by nature who are looking for safety. And so it's very, very important to find safe spaces to bring this and to open up about this. Um, There's also uh, therapies that can help us go towards our trauma. So not to relive our trauma, but to actually go towards them so that our brain and our bodies heal. There's some crazy advances in in therapy, and I don't say this because that's my work now. Honestly, I'm just my mind has been blown at how we can actually desensitize and reprocess some of the things that have happened in way in, the, in ways in which our brains have responded. Healing can come, guys. It's incre- It's thank you God for this. Something like uh, maybe if some of you have engaged in EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization, desensitization and reprocessing. And so just like you heal from a broken arm, our brains and bodies can heal by desensitizing ourselves to these events and reprocessing this. It's amazing. There's other trauma-informed ways in which we can kind of move to that, and these things are available to us. You with me? So why is this important? Because we often ignore what's happening in our bodies. And if anything you could take from this morning is just an openness to understanding and recognizing that it's not just up in here, but how this is manifesting and how our bodies respond and working with it. Now, you have all that, but here's the thing. This is the beautiful thing about the gospel story. Jesus is what? Our wounded healer. Peter would later reflect on this, and he actually picks up on on Isaiah. He says this, verse uh, 24 of 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins. Listen to what Peter says. He bore our sins, Jesus did, where? In his body on the cross, right? So Jesus' body absorbing and taking on our sins. We even sung about this this morning. In his body on the cross, so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness. And then Peter quotes Isaiah. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Isn't that beautiful? We actually, you and I, have a God who took the wounds on himself. And so I actually think it's all of these things working together. Certainly, yes, this is about Jesus, the healer, bringing healing to our lives. This is what we have in this room that's different than anybody else, is we come to a God who put on display what love is like, and it wasn't pretty. You know, there's lots of talk about empathy right now, especially in certain circles of the church. Jesus can empathize because of what he's done for us in coming in human flesh and taking that on himself. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so we lean into that. We are the, these people that continually bring our pain to the source of all life. This is incredible. And then we've been given, in combination with that, other ways where we can move towards our wounds to see healing come, right? This is the beauty We have Jesus, the kingdom, his work, his power, his invitation into us, into healing, 
And then some things along the way that can also help in that, that process. And by the way, I know it was snarky at the beginning. Typically what happens is when people are like, oh, this is unbiblical and blah, 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 right? Those, at least in my assessment, are the people that, yes, they're in relationship with Jesus, but have some of the deepest wounds that they don't deal with. We've got to be careful in the moment just to say, okay, like, uh, yeah, G- obviously the Jesus stuff is so, so vitally important. But I know a lot of people that that kind of rolls off their tongue, but the wounds under it are very deep because they actually haven't gone towards them. They have a wounded healer, yeah, but part of, it us, part of us is cultivating that in our lives. So we started in Genesis, and what we're going to do again like last week is end in new creation. So when we talk about these things, how our brains work, how our bodies work, all of that is true and legit. But one thing that resides deep within us is the Christian story that no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what type of wounds are happening, we are going towards new creation. And a reminder that that involves us having a resurrected body. And so you know, when we talk about trauma and the work and moving towards it, for some of us, working with these wounds will be a long, long, long journey. And that's okay. Move towards it. But the hope in this room is someday Jesus is going to take care of all of this. The brokenness, the shame we experience, things that have been done to us. Guys, we're being healed. As Paul would say, we're being saved Guys, there's a day where we will be saved. And we have the opportunity to kind of say to a world that's lost at times and wandering and trying to sort things out that we, we serve and live and follow a Messiah who will bring and right the wrongs, will bring healing, complete healing. We will be healed. We are being healed through the love and grace of Jesus. But we will be healed. So take note. Take note of what happens in your body because this is not disconnected. But also take note that Jesus, the king of the universe, is returning. And it's not just going to be getting us to go somewhere else. This resurrection that we're going to be a part of is going to be the healing of our entire lives. No more anger impulses. Amen. No more coping in all sorts of directions with our lives. Whole, in the presence of Jesus, following him. This is the hope that we lean into. So brothers and sisters, listen, I know in a room, even in a room like this, there's all sorts of stuff. There's all sorts of stuff. You know, and that's okay. Trust Jesus follow Jesus, the wounded healer. But for some of us, maybe it's a step in one direction, finding safety in somebody, moving towards God-given, evidence-based things. And this, again, I know the tension here is, oh, you're just trying to like pump up what you do. Honestly, this is not at all that. This is, I, I believe this can be a deep and beautiful part of our healing. So King Jesus, we just ask that you come and do it Do your work. Do your healing work. As we come to the tables, God, may you just be at work in us. I pray for a sense, God, of you just sealing this morning what we've talked about. 
Help us, I pray, King Jesus. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Some of us have had things that have been out of our control happen to us. God, I pray that you would, you would help us heal. For our brokenness. God, for maybe the shame in this room that some of us are experiencing. Help us. God, thank you for our bodies. Maybe, that's one, maybe this is the first time we've ever done this in a setting like this, but thank you that you have uniquely wired, created us, and made us. And you bring life. So God, as we come to the tables this morning, may we be reminded, God, that you're not distant and far, but that even the things of this earth, the things from the ground, juice and bread, is a reminder, God, of you're not far, you're here. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.